Welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. The contents and views expressed by individuals in the CIM Marketing Podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the companies they work for. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. And today we're joined by our great editor of Catalyst, Morag Cudderford Jones, and Chris Dunn, who is head of marketing at Thinkbox. How are you guys? Very well, thank you very much. Always the enthusiastic introduction. Great to have you both on the show. And as you are used to by now, when Morag's with us, we are here to discover and explore what's in the next fantastic issue of Catalyst magazine, which is coming out pretty much contemporaneously with this podcast. So we'll get some many insights today from Morag, what you can expect to find in the issue. We're also going to be talking about some of the themes in the issue with Chris a little bit later on. But we'll kick off with you, Myra. What are the key themes and ideas we can expect to find in this quarter's issue? Well, of course, there's always thousands of different ideas in every issue, Ben. But I think the overarching thing that struck me with this one was that it all seemed to be about meeting challenges. It always seems like there's so many challenges ahead of us, personal and professional. And it feels like we're constantly firefighting. I think I say to friends and colleagues on a regular basis, when can I get off this Lumin hamster wheel, or the you know, can I step off the treadmill just for a minute? Um, so meeting challenges, whether they are involving new trends, whether it's involving internal demands, whether it's meeting something surprising, you know, some something comes up at us at 100 miles an hour and we have to deal with it. Do we have the resources to deal with it in the right way? Do we have to deal with it at all? Um, so very much, it felt like it was an issue of answers and suggestions I'd, I'd hope if anything it's helpful there you go I want to be helpful the cover story is talk, you talk about speak out or shut up which I thought was particularly provocative there, there you go the helpful advice is to do two completely contradictory things how's that so speak out or shut up we always talk about brand purpose what's our brand purpose and therefore, the, the natural extrapolation of that is to think, well, if I have a purpose, then I have to speak out on issues. And in some cases, yes, but also this is the shut up bit. In some cases, no, shut up, you know, not your zoo, not your monkeys. So this is what we were covering. We were looking at the variety of events, things that that crop up, not, not planned events necessarily, but things that have cropped up recently that brands have felt is it part of our purpose to jump on this particular bandwagon? And some do it incredibly well. So for example, we featured Reebok, which uh, supports pride. And it doesn't just support pride by sticking out a rainbow flag for one month every year. They invest in communities, they create products, they uh, live their values as an organization. So it seems like this is a 12 month thing for them. So they have license to talk about instead of just covering all their social media in in rainbow flags equally there is some contentiousness about taking part even when you have license to do that we looked at iceland the supermarket which has developed a low cost actually zero cost it's interest free credit system for families who are struggling to pay for their groceries now this on the surface seems like a good thing but then criticisms were well, all you're doing is driving people in debt deeper into debt. And they came up with a very rational explanation, which was to say, during the year, families with small children 
three for three huge chunks of the year rely on school meals for example their children get school meals so their grocery bills are slightly less but when you have the summer holidays their salaries have not changed their salaries have been the same 12 monthly increments but their grocery costs have rocketed because the kids are at home they have friends around ice lollies whatever's happening so this credit is to tide them over for a short period of time it's a very small amount i think it's a hundred pound credit and it's zero zero percent interest so they're not charging for that facility at all and in the end you know the the head of marketing or the the managing director i think it was said show me a family that isn't buying their groceries on credit card most of the time anyway it's pretty hypocritical for you to say buying things on credit doesn't happen with everybody anyway so i thought it was interesting and, and there's many more examples explored in the cover story of brands that do it well brands that don't play so well in this space and advice you know saying you can't just war room an event you have to have you know two three years of building the purpose, the response, the understanding of how your brand wants to react and what your brand can react to. So that when an event happens and you react in 24 hours, that that wasn't the job you did. This big, long period of time was the job you did. This small 24 hours was the reaction. Um, and just making sure that you understand that if you are going to stick your head above the parapet, even when you do it well, you're going to get shot at. Brewdog notoriously still gets shot at. Iceland was trying to do a great thing, still got shot at. You, you have to be brave, I think, in those situations and know that not everyone's going to walk around and go, oh, aren't you wonderful? Aren't you just such a nice brand? However nice you are and however well your purpose is, they're still going to take pot shots at you. So there's a few things to unpack there, isn't it? I mean, first of all, you've got to have the credentials. You've got to develop the credentials uh, to do this stuff over a number of years. It's got to be the tip of an iceberg when, to mix the metaphors. When you pop your head above the parapet, it must be the tip of an iceberg. Um, but even then, even if you've got the credentials, even if you've done this developmental work, even if you've uh, established a position over a number of years, you will still get shot at. So having to understand those two things concurrently is quite difficult for brands and presumably that's where the shut up comes in is that sometimes it's better is by implications not to say anything at all is that right the shut up is not telling brands don't be too fearful and don't engage it's recognize your strengths and your weaknesses so right. for example if there's an organization that with the most well-meaning feelings in the world wants to talk about and support diversity, for example, and then they're not a diverse organization themselves, what are you going to expect? You know, the charity starts at home, purpose starts at home. You know, you, you, you're talking about sticking your head above the parapet. Well, make sure the whole bloody castle is built out of the right bricks in the first place, you know, yeah. and then, and yeah. then go with it. And you, you, you know, Twitter is the ultimate town hall of of nonsense you'll have people who can start a fight in an empty room there so there will be brickbats but if you are confident in yourself that you and your company have the right to speak in this space that don't be perfect not everyone can be perfect all the time you can acknowledge your failings you're not going to be able to do everything you won't solve anything overnight but that you have a legitimate reason to be in that space and if you don't it is not cowardice, it is not ignoring the issue to simply step back and go, not our thing. It may be a wake-up call to say, 
this isn't our thing to talk about publicly, but this is a big issue. We need to work on this ourselves. But like so much of marketing, then, it's, it's about knowing when to make that gambit, where, if and when to make that gambit. You know, have we got the credentials? Is there a benefit to us and our consumers for us making this gambit? And are we willing to do the battling to take the flak that is inevitably going to come our way should we make this gambit? Exactly, because it's going to step outside marketing, isn't it? So you may have the bravest marketing team in the world, but if the CEO yeah. gets the collie wobbles, they're going to be the first person to turn on you if suddenly the press go bananas and the CEO goes, well, that was an unapproved ad campaign. I just really don't understand what they're doing. And then suddenly the, you, you find the CMO suddenly pitches up in the, so-and-so is leaving the company by mutual consent or something, you know, these, these nice uh, gentle words. But um, yes, it's as, as much as we always talk about marketing is talking about our product outside, it's as much about doing the work internally as well and saying, I am going to put our company in this position and you all have to be behind us, not just the marketing team. Yeah, and that's when things can go wrong when that isn't the case, isn't it? It can still be a great campaign, but if it hasn't got uh, internal buying, it can nevertheless go wrong no matter how good a campaign it is. Well, I mean, you just need to look at, sorry to drag them in and give them another kicking, but it seems to be the, the, they're the whipping boy of the moment. But the BBC is the ultimate brand yeah. that is so thoroughly confused over what it should mean to people, how brave it should be, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole who's politically what and who's doing this and what does constitute impartiality. But if you just look at the wrangles they've got at the moment over whether their staff are allowed to say something, whether they join in with criticising them, whether they support them, whether they stay neutral, it feels like that as a brand has really got no idea where it should be standing and how it's brand ambassadors. And I don't care if it's brand ambassadors or freelancers. I'm a freelancer, but I'm fairly certain that the Chartered Institute of Marketing wouldn't like me bouncing around with massively opposed views to what to the ones they hold. Well, certainly not publicly anyway. But this isn't about silencing people or making them tow a company line. It's about making sure that all your brand values are clear, communicated and lived. And at the moment, as far as I can tell from the BBC, they really aren't. Yeah, this is the voting shark relief, of course, recently with the Gary Lineker round, which Mr Lineker sort of refused to back down and was nevertheless uh, rehired. Um, and uh, uh, everyone has a different different view on that. But one I think we can all agree on is that there is a confusion there about what its purpose is and what its people's purpose is, whether those people are uh, employees or freelancers. Um, Gary Lineker, of course, is a, the diverse voice for the BBC. We can say that about him. And one thing you've always done um, at Catalyst is bringing lots of diverse voices, uh, different opinions, different ideas into the magazines, one of whom is Mr Chris Dunn, who is with us today, as I introduced him earlier. And Chris is, as I said, head of marketing at Thinkbox, but he's also a mental health training profession. Is that right, Chris? Well, that is right. Technically, yes. Professional might be pushing it a little far. I wouldn't want to uh, get in trouble with the tax man on that basis. But um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I am certainly we'll go uh, with expert. We'll let's go with, go with expert. that. Experts, fine. Yeah, that's that's uh, non-tax deductible. Um, yeah. I am uh, uh, formerly a mental health first aider, which you know is a, uh, a, a qualification that anyone can do. Um, but it does mean that I have some uh, grounding and of experience in terms of language, in terms of different mental health conditions. And uh, like any first aider, 
trained to assist if there are any emergencies in a mental health situation. You, you appear in the magazine in one of our, my favourite regular sections, which is Catalyst Clinic. And despite the name, it's not always medical. It's you get all sorts of issues and challenges that marketers get. This uh, time it is medical. And we're talking about mental health within organisations as marketers. And a little bit of an uh, overview from you, Maura, about what this section does and what sort of topics you've covered in it. So we've we've covered all sorts in Catalyst Clinic. We've talked we've talked about how to do your social media. We've talked about how to find your voice when you're standing on stage and want to you know broadcast and and make up an engaging podcast. For example, we had a whole thing on how to yep. do a good podcast, which I had to then reread and go, oh God, I don't do that. No oh God, I keep doing that when people tell me not to. Um, so it's lots of how tos. It's it's not really designed as being an academic thing. It's more that it's a a head scratcher and you're sitting there going oh are we doing this right other companies seem to do this and I can't tell the difference between what they're doing and what we're doing but they seem to be much better at it and it's getting four experts together to share diverse opinions you know they don't all have to come out with the same same answers in fact I hope I don't because otherwise it'd be four extremely boring columns Um, but it's just really to say you know Particularly in the area of mental health, Chris, I know I don't know if you've if you've experienced this, but lately, because I've taken an interest in it, I've read so many conflicting things. You know, mental health days are great. Mental health days are a sticking plaster. Mental health days are a disaster because everyone else is at work and you're freaking out. So it's to try and cut through that sort of noise. People will read about a, a new trend or a topic and go, well, which position should I take? It's not designed to tell them which position to take, but it's designed to explain what those positions are, I think. This is absolutely fascinating, Chris, isn't it? As a non-medical person, but what seems to me to be without doubt is there is much more debate about how we deal with mental health issues than with with physical health issues. We've got a colleague who's just injured herself uh, cooking. It's a horrible thing to happen if you injure yourself cooking, knives and so on and so forth. But there doesn't strike me as much debate amongst the medical profession about how one deals with that not only the medical professional, but in, in any professional capacity, you know, we don't have generally, and generalising, but generally we don't have the language uh, and we don't have the trust in who's to blame and where the, where the capacity lies. And, you know, with physical health, um, you know, that, that was a, a physical accident that happened. But, you know, there's procedure in place, there's precedent. And I think that we understand professionally what to happen when we get physically ill. But we still... Yeah increasingly feel uh, the the stigma that surrounds a lot of mental ill health means that there's a you know there's fear of uh, being perceived as weak there's fear of being perceived as to blame and so we're still not comfortable talking about our our mental health in the same breath as our physical health and I I use the mental health first aid as, as an example you know we've probably all in our businesses you know someone will be a first aider in the same way someone will be a fire warden and they'll have the high-vis vest and you you know that there's probably a couple of people that could you know help you if you uh you know burst a varicose vein or they know where the defibrillator is but with mental health uh, first aid it's still not adopted to anywhere near the same level but I think that's also about what those people at the top of the organization are doing as well I don't expect my CEO to be able to, um, you know, come and bandage me up if I'm needed. But 
you know, for them to engage in uh, the area of mental health, I think signals something quite different to the organisation. It's that we take it seriously as a business that uh, some of the senior management are willing to undergo this education and start these conversations. Do you think there's still the natural reactions too often amongst marketing managers and high level managers in business um, generally to just give people a day off if they say they're struggling in the mental health space and and not really knowing much more how to deal uh, with the issue in their teams than that? Yeah, I mean that's that's a common reaction, and in it, and it, it, it's a you know it's the ultimate band aid, isn't it? You know, any other health condition doesn't heal overnight from from time. Actually, there needs to be in like any other um, health problem, there needs to be some element of diagnosis and some kind of uh, support that's provided, be that, um, you know, be that counselling or or whatever that might be. But but just to say, go away, it will sort itself out and come back again and everything will be fine. It's simply not enough. But I know that comes down again to training and education, I think, you know, managers and senior managers need to be equipped to handle those situations when uh, when people do come to them with those problems, that's the hardest thing possibly to do is if you are struggling with your mental health, to vocalise that in your business. And and that feels like a very scary thing to do, I think. So you mentioned the, the key word there, diagnosis. When we feel unwell, we've kind of got a vague idea of what's going on. You know, I feel a bit queasy. I need to lie down, stop moving around. I've got a terrible headache. I need to sit in a dark room. There appears to be a lot of blood coming out of my artery. I should probably go and get a bandage. But mental health, and I've experienced this myself, as, as have members of my family. It's insidious. And you don't know, am I just stressed at work? Have I just been doing too much? Is this person being unreasonable or am I being a bit pathetic about it? And there will be occasions when you are, you know, come on, put on your big girl pants and off you go. But have you found in your role as a mental health first aider that you're actually helping people understand what's happening to them before they can even go and say, Actually, yes, I have a mental health issue and I need help. Are they coming to you and go, going, am I burnt out or am I being a wuss? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is helping people to see where the distinction lies between um, the daily stresses that we all experience and when that starts to become uh, a, you know, a, a period of mental ill health. So when it starts to impact on your ability to go about your your job or your you're not getting pleasure out of the uh let your leisure activities there are certain signs that you can look for to show that it's starting to to become something more serious and i think that is also unfortunately it's, it's one of the kind of catch 22s that some of the most common mental ill health conditions that we talk about anxiety depression are things that we all feel everybody feels at certain points an element of so it's very easy for you to talk your way out of it being a, a serious thing that needs addressing you you know you assume it will pass you you know you are and you know we we work in very high pressure uh roles in marketing you know i, I talk about this in in the piecing catalyst you know marketers are often in this uh very unique middle point of an organization they're they're often the bridge builders between different functions of the business and so you know having strong relationships often they're as like a bridge they're holding the burden of projects a lot of the time they're firefighting when things go wrong so you know it's quite a unique position to be in an organization and that comes with its own added uh, 
um, stresses and problems. And I think that the, the, the climate now that we're all in, marketers are under a lot more pressure to, to do more with less money, to look at costs, to look at performance. So it really is a kind of a perfect storm at the moment, I think. It is the strongest, is the bridge metaphor is fantastic uh, way of thinking of it, isn't it? Because the point about the bridge is the bit that has to be the strongest is that in the middle. Do you think it's getting worse? Do you think it's becoming a bigger problem as we do face, you know, tightened budgets and so on and so forth, Chris? Is this something that's becoming a bit of a modern challenge? I think I think two things are probably happening in tandem. It is it's certainly becoming more of a challenge, and you know the the, the macro um, uh, uh, considerations of still the after effects of the pandemic and what's happening. You know, people having these pressures at home. And then coming into work and having you know similar pressures with their job in terms of um, what you know the, the economic pressures they're under. But I think what is encouraging is um, awareness is growing into different types of mental health conditions, and so that is stimulating more conversation. It's almost the you know there's a there's a sense that there are more problems, but actually that could be a result of more talking about these problems, and 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 they've always been there. But perhaps slowly and gradually through, you know, through through some programs like introducing mental health first aid into the workplace, some of these conversations can happen. So whilst things get more stressful, organisations start to think about how do we respond for our people to make sure we're supporting them and, and directing them to the help they need. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when I was talking earlier about the, the speak up or shut up piece and we were looking at marketers having to be brave and making sure their CEOs didn't throw them under the bus. That's after the fact. But before the fact, you need that support, because if you're going to get those brickbats, it is almost impossible not to take things personally. You know, even if your company can say professionally, we've given you the sign off to do this. But then people are going after you going, oh, well, the CMO of this doesn't know what they're talking about. Or even you even have the customer service, don't you, where there's these email resources saying, if you haven't had any satisfaction with customer service, here's the CMO's email address, email them, here's the CEO's. So in a sort of always on culture, it's very hard to get away from the trolls. You know, we say don't feed the trolls. No, they're self-feeding. <laughs> they're perfectly capable of sustaining life on their own. So how organizations don't just deal with mental health problems when they arrive and don't just recognize workloads, but recognize the position they put their staff in because they are shoving them onto the front line in a lot of cases. It is a really important point, isn't it? That marketers are, or to some degree should be, the risk takers in a business. They do have to take risks. And with risks, Chris, always comes anxiety, one would think. Yeah, and there's always a healthy amount of anxiety. You know, that's the thing that drives us and 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 makes most people in this line of work excited to get up in the morning and to deliver those uh, you know, envelope pushing campaigns, the things that will deliver success for their business and and everything that they're looking for from from their job. But but there there has to be a point in which uh, you know they are, they are comfortable to be able to raise a hand when those levels of stress and anxiety get too much. And I I think that because we are often in a in in a cycle, it's something of a of a roller coaster, then you just expect you're 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 in one of the peaks and troughs at the moment, and I'll and I'll just I'll style it out until it sorts itself out, and you know we have to we have to move on from that. You wouldn't keep walking on the uh, that mild fracture to get to get from A to B, thinking it was going to heal itself. You know you need to be able to put your hand up and say I think there's a break here. I find this idea of mental 
first aid really compelling because the point about the fracture is that you know going to the doctors you don't know whether you just bruised your foot or you've got a hairline fracture or you've done your metatarsal in you don't necessarily know at that stage what it is you, you don't know the scale of the problem by having a mental first aid system in your organizations people are able to detect the scale of the problem early on and therefore we know how to deal with it and as you say earlier i mean a lot of the problem with mental health is that people in themselves don't know the scale of problems and as Morag was saying don't even themselves recognize it in themselves all the time so by having this sort of mental first aid process within organizations a function if you like of mental health first aid in an organization strikes me as a real one real tangible thing marketing leaders can do um, to address some of these issues absolutely and uh, uh, mental health uh, first aid england recommends that a minimum of 10 percent of your workforce should be qualified as a mental health first aid and i would consider that a minimum because you know you've got to think about uh, there is, you know, enough people in different departments of different levels so that everybody feels that somebody is accessible to them that they can go and talk to. And it's not just in that direction. You know, the, the, the point of having all these different people in place is that they are well positioned to be able to observe how people are behaving, if there's any signs of behavior change and they can try and preempt. It doesn't always have to be about OK, let's wait till it's escalated to be a big problem. Actually, there's a lot that can be done uh, at the early stage before it becomes a problem. And that's what having more of those qualified eyes and ears in the organisation, the better. Talking about um, before it escalates, I mean, in your experience and obviously having had some actual training for it, you said being there to observe. Are you able to observe just the normal functioning of your company and go, do you know what? We could change XYZ process because it stresses people out. They may not have a mental health issue as a result of it yet. Yeah, and this is this is the you know the point on education and language, I think is really important. So now the, the, the more people that are educated, the more that we become comfortable with some of the language around mental health, is some of those factors start to come into the decision making. So when you're looking at uh, scoping out a project, actually pressure points for team members as human beings who are already in pri high pressure uh, situations start to become a factor in how that work is distributed and you know expected timelines so we start to think a little more about what the likely impact is on people's mental health you know that has to be now be part of the planning process but i think on language is it's something that i've spent quite a lot of time in our organization in trying to destigmatize some of the language you know we've had a few sessions here where uh, people have shared their own experience of mental health either themselves or their family uh, I, you know our ceo has been on a podcast to talk about her approach to mental health and it's all those things start to chip away at the stigma that that, that people still experience marketing is a deadline driven industry in fact this is where i get to have my own personal therapy session you know as a freelancer i've got a lot of people who will send me an email and go can you do this today it's really urgent now, I guarantee whatever that urgent thing was is going to be stuck in some pipeline five weeks down the line. And it was nowhere near as urgent as they thought it was. But because I don't have visibility of that, as far as I'm concerned, their whole building is on fire and I need to get out. And I read something really interesting. And it was 
about how to take a step back from this. And, you know, that adrenaline rush when you get that email saying, do this, do this now, because otherwise the world will fall apart. And it's very easy to get sucked into that language and go, oh my God, I'm vital. I'm the vital cog. And if I don't do it, or if I push back, I won't be employed again, or the whole house of cards will fall down. And I read this thing, I wish I could remember the link, but it was something about an, a, a sort of old dyed in the wool doctor, battlefield, battlefield type doctor advising a younger doctor on the scene. And there was an emergency, it was high pressure, and he could see the younger doctor starting to spiral. And he took them aside and he said, this is their emergency. It's not your emergency. You're trained to do whatever you do when you need to do it. That's not an emergency. They have the emergency. You just do what you have to do. And I found that was really quite calming in a way, because if you panic when faced with an emergency, all you have are two emergencies. <laughs> so so it's it's taking that I feel it's it's about taking that slightly dissociative view to protect yourself and not being frightened to ask the question when somebody says this is urgent I need it by 3 p.m and going why I can if your building genuinely will burn down for lack of it at 301 I will do it but have you thought about why it's urgent do I need to help you out of a hole okay I get it you're in a hole let me help you it's not my emergency, it's your emergency, but I can help you. So I find that, you know, there are various ways where we're put under pressure, either in marketing or journalism, whatever, and actually trying to find out what's a false pressure could actually be key. And I think whole organisations need to start to try and recognise, am I the one creating a bunch of false pressures and therefore not getting the best out of my teams because they're constantly on high cortisol alert? It becomes a cultural thing, doesn't it? You know, we, we, we're conditioned. We know what language to use in that, you know, everyone who's sending you that emails knows exactly which words to use to instill that, you know, that, that need, that necessary uh, sense of urgency that's going to make it happen. But, you know, that's a big, quite a big shift for people to start to think, hold on, how am I affecting the individual who's receiving this? Uh, am I being fair to them? Or but most people just want the thing done that they want done and they want it done quickly, you know? I've told yeah. someone else I'll get it to them by five, so you can do it by three. And I didn't really think why they had to have it by five. I just did. <laughs> but now you've set in chain all these things. So it's 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 one of those things I think is maybe pie in the sky to a degree that it's not going to change everything. But I would like anyone listening to this podcast who is perhaps guilty of chucking out a bunch of emails saying, do this by five. Ask yourself why. We're obsessed with politeness in, in this country to the point where we, we, we will frame our emails with hi and how are you, how was your weekend? Um, but within the body of those emails, we can still uh, be very transactional and directive uh, to the point where it's hard sometimes, as you say, to discern between I just I just want this off my desk. I want it out of my inbox versus my house is on fire or my organisation's in trouble. And I think that's an important lesson from today as well. Apart from, you know, the fact get a get a mental health function in your organisations is just have a little bit of forethought about the language you're using. You know, these are colleagues, these are suppliers, these are clients. They are professional friends in many ways. Think about how you're presenting that, which will benefit them or will benefit you, because not everything has to be done yesterday. Um, and those things that do, we need to, need to make sure that we're not crying rules so that when we do get things that are necessary, to be done yesterday, people can discern those as well. 
Um, this has been a fantastic discussion. We talked about deadlines. We're on deadline. We're running out of time, would you believe? We're nearly up. I've got, I've got 90 seconds um, for you, Morag. I genuinely only have 90 seconds. You see, this is this is an <laughs> example of a real deadline. It's not a false pressure. It's real pressure. What, if you want your readers to take away three things from the issue that's landing on their doorsteps, what will they be? Okay, in 45 seconds or less. Uh, challenges are always going to come at us at a million miles an hour. So... I would say across the organization, not just marketers, don't have knee-jerk reactions. Try and take a considered view. I know someone's pressurizing you for a KPI for tomorrow, for this quarter, but what will that mean in six months? Does that give you the ammunition to push back and say, hang on a minute, let's think? So that would be one thing. You know, everything comes at you a million miles an hour. You've got to build that space in to have a we think. Otherwise, you're just going to build yourself another problem in three weeks' time. Um, we are we marketers you're experts there's so many senses that marketers are going oh sorry will you do that but as as you said chris they're the bridge between the business they have insight into everything that's going on so be brave stand your ground whether that's turning down the deadline having all that information to hand to say this is the right course of action or this is the right course of inaction and just make sure that you know you're demonstrating that everything you're doing is in the companies and in your own personal interest and those two are not mutually exclusive. Um, but the whole reason that we had Chris here and this is the third thing is that there's always a lot of pressure, there's always a lot of challenges. We do go into this industry for a bit of excitement and interest and some of us tend to be natural risk takers, but you must protect your mental health and you must be alive to the mental health of others. Um, there is so much pressure to do everything yesterday. Just remember, this is their emergency. It's not your emergency. And try and take it from there. Did I run over? <laughs> You've just about tucked it in, but I thought the, the point about don't turn one emergency into two emergencies is something that everybody can and should take away from this podcast. Chris Dunn, thanks for your insights and your time today, sir. I've been I found it really useful myself to listen to talk about some of this stuff. Um, and I think it's something that people will benefit from hearing. We'd love to have you back on the show, by the way, uh, at a later date. You've been a great guest. And of course, the Morag could have for James, our wonderful editor of Catalyst magazine. Thanks again, Morag. Always brilliant to have you on the show. Thanks to you both. Always a joy, Ben. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the CIM Marketing Podcast on your platform of choice. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. CIM Marketing Podcast. <laughs>